We're going to finish up our series called The Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and dealing with all kinds of different things from, um, <clears throat> you know, resisting the Spirit and how important it is to embrace the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is present in the lives of people who, who don't believe or who have wandered from the faith. The Holy Spirit is, of course, present in people who have made a confession of faith, who have offered themselves to Christ to be followers of Him. And then also, we can have continual spiritual relationships with God where, uh, where we can be changed and our heart can be molded, even transplanted and transformed. And, uh, you know, we can have the Holy Spirit's indwelling and, and there's even described as being immersed in the Holy Spirit of God, these additional spiritual experiences that we can have. And we talked about that and we talked about the fruits of the Spirit aligning with the heart of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the empowerment that the Spirit gives us to be able to do the things that God's called us to do. We took a couple weeks, talked about being Spirit-led, listening to the still, small voice of God. Last week, we talked about battling unclean spirits. And this week, we're going to talk about an important subject that uh, is sometimes misunderstood that we want to be able to get right on, and that's uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, should be encouraging and fun. So let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get into that new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures and I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us down here to uh, wander around, do the best we can. You don't leave us as orphans, but you guide us by your word and you guide us by your spirit. Help us to see what you've got for us this morning. Help us to grab hold of your truth. Lord, help us to have peace in serving you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Um, you know, when it comes to discussing the Holy Spirit, have you noticed that sometimes there can be some, some harsh negative reactions that can come in? If you, if you want to talk to somebody about the Holy Spirit, if you, uh, you know, tell people you go to a church that uh, is, a, is, is free in the things of the Spirit, that sort of a thing, there can be some negative responses that happen with that. That's one of the reasons why sometimes churches don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because it can create some difficult circumstances. And, and I think that's, that's kind of scary and kind of dangerous because Jesus only describes one thing as unforgivable. Everything else we can do is forgivable. You can be a mass murderer, that's forgivable. But there's something Jesus describes as not being forgivable, and he calls it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy basically means to vilify, to rail against, to speak evil of, and with kind of a, an assumption that that's of God. To, to blaspheme God is to speak evil of, um, to cut down, vilify, rail against. That's to blaspheme, and to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is a very dangerous thing. So let's read uh, the account in Matthew chapter 12. This is in three different, uh, it mentions some in three different gospels, but we'll go to the Matthew account. Uh, it's, it's a fairly complete one, so we'll go to that. Um, but we don't even want to get real close to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? 
We want to stay pretty far away from that. We don't want to be like, you know, seeing how close to the edge we can get, you know, like peering over the rail at the Grand Canyon or something. You know, we want to stay away from that edge. And so let's look at this and see if we can make sure that we're in good shape. Matthew 12, starting in verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. So there's something good going on. Yeah, there's somebody who's blind and mute because of demonic forces. Jesus gets rid of all that, and the person now can talk and see. That's good, right? I think that's good. Let's go to the next verse. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So the people thought it was good. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So... It's obviously good. The crowds thought it was good, but the Pharisees were like, oh, no, 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 no. This is demonic. This is evil. This is Satan's work. Okay? That's not very nice. Let's go to the next verse. Jesus knew their thoughts, so Jesus responds. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house." He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Did you know that some sins you get forgiven in the age to come for? You know, like, for example, let's say that you commit murder and get convicted and put on death row. And then when you're in prison, you cry out to God for forgiveness of sins. You'd be forgiven, right? You'd be born again. Do you get out of prison then? No, you don't get out of prison. Do you, you get off death row then? No, you still have to pay the price in this life. There's lots of things like that where the consequences linger in this age. But of course, in the age to come, everything is wiped away and everybody is on even footing in heaven. And it doesn't matter what those sins were that grabbed a hold of you and you had to deal with the consequences of in this life. We're all children of God and all even and equal in the heavenly realms in the age to come. But he says there is this one where you don't get forgiven even in the age to come. That's something we need to watch out for. We don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we do something that, that the consequences aren't just here, but in the age to come as well, in the afterlife. We don't want that to happen. So let's kind of pick apart what happened here a little bit uh, in this a passage here in Matthew. First of all, a great miracle happened. Everybody was astonished. And then the Pharisees said, hey, this is not from God. This is from the devil. Why would they say that? Now, I think the Pharisees 
of course, the religious elite, the upper echelon, the smartest, you know, most educated of the religious people, I think they had an idea of what was going on. They weren't just naive. They realized, okay, we've got this uh, ministry going on, and now here's Jesus doing all this work, and everybody's going to go follow him. He's doing so well. Everybody's going to go with him. So they countered with accusations. They countered with undermining what Jesus was doing to try to pull people away from Jesus and keep them affiliated with them. Don't you think that's a pretty reasonable assumption? That they saw the impact that Jesus was having and they're like, man, everybody's going to leave and go with Jesus, so we better, we better counter this. And they say, hey, this isn't of God. This is of the devil. And so they're calling a great and mighty move of God Satanic. Um, Now, I think that the Pharisees understood what was going on. They slandered the Holy Spirit to keep their position. That would be a really, really bad thing. Um, Does that ever happen anymore today, do you think? Does God do something and God's people say it's not a good thing to keep their position? That can happen when you've got churches competing with each other, right? When you've got one church and all of a sudden good things are happening there and the other church will be like, oh, well, that's because they water down the gospel. Or, oh, that's because, you know, they appeal to these certain people that have influence. You know, and they start bad-mouthing the situation, even if God's doing something good, but just out of jealousy or or out of a a fear that they're going to lose their influence and those sorts of things. And so I think that was what was going on then. And it's something that can go on now. We don't want that to go on now. Um, We want to be in favor of everything that God is doing. Uh, Let's look at a few more scriptures that I think are related to this. Because if there's an unforgivable sin, we want to make sure we're not committing it. So we want to dig in pretty deep and make sure that we've got this understood. And so let's look at a couple of other scriptures here. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and get an understanding of what's going on there. We're also going to go into 1 Timothy, and we'll get a little idea of, of how this might work. And so Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, I want you to remember the first three words, okay? It is impossible. That's a pretty strong thing to have in the scriptures, right? It is impossible. Remember that, because we're going to need that when we look at verse 6. It is impossible For those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. Are these like people who don't really know anything about God? These are, are, again, like the Pharisees, well advanced in the things of God. And this seems to describe people well advanced in the right things of God. They've, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. They've tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. What's it impossible for? Verse 6. If they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. This sounds like a done deal. Like, unforgivable is a done deal. If somebody, 
It's, it's impossible if they're this advanced and have gone this far and have tasted these things and grabbed hold of the mighty things of God and walked in the power of God if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. What does fall away mean? I think in this case, it doesn't mean that you've got a nagging sin that trips you up from time to time, right? Like, oh, you know, I went and gossiped again, you know, whatever. It's not that sort of a deal. This is turning your back on God and saying, forget it. You know, telling Jesus, I'm done with you. This is all baloney. I'm I'm going off on my own. Forget it. It's rejecting God and walking away. And so if they fall away, what can't happen? What's impossible? To have them brought back to repentance. So what it's saying here is the heart of that person will be hardened and they won't love God ever again. They'll be done. That's dangerous. That's scary stuff. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is talking to Timothy and he's giving him some inside information on how the world works and here's what he says. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So, there will be bad teaching. (laughs) And who's going to be doing this bad teaching? Bad teachers. Now, are bad teachers well advanced in the things of God? They're teachers. They're coming up with doctrines. They, they, they're in the upper echelon, again, of religious circles. Teachers. Now, what's wrong with these, these teachers? They're hypocritical liars. They're bringing demonic teaching into the church, which is, like, wildly scary. And so... Why are they doing that? Well, they're hypocritical liars and they've got something wrong with their heart. What's wrong with their heart? Their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. Now, you know, this, like I'm all dressed up because communion Sunday. You know, we're going to have communion today. I like to wear a tie. I used to wear a tie all the time, but it scared all the jean people. And they felt like, oh, man, you know, I have to wear a tie. Like, no, nah, you can wear jeans. I always make sure to wear jeans, too. Um, but I like to wear a tie from time to time. But, you know, it's this a nice, soft tie I've got on today. I can feel it, you know. Even though i got some calluses, but not too bad. I can still feel the soft tie. But imagine if I had my fingertips seared with a red-hot iron, and then just the, the scars, you know, would I be able to feel that? Not at all. That's how the conscience is described of these people who are bringing these false teachings. Their conscience, their heart, their ability to feel what's right and wrong is seared. It's, it's gone. They're absolutely incapable of doing that. So if their conscience is seared, are they going to be able to be brought to repentance? They, they can't feel that. They can't feel that, oh no, I'm doing something wrong. Their conscience is seared. This is a very similar thing. You've got someone who is highly advanced in the faith, 
whose conscience is seared. The other one, you had people who are highly advanced in the faith who fall away. I think when we look at this and we look at the Pharisees highly advanced in the faith and claiming what was being done that was of God was actually of the devil, we can make some conclusions about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and get an understanding of what's going on. Conclusion number one. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a high-level sin. It's like a black belt-level sin. It's a PhD-level sin. It's not something that normal people are going to just wander into and accidentally do without realizing what's going on. So the good news with that is, if you're not really tracking with what I'm saying and you're not exactly sure what's going on, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because you haven't advanced enough to be able to even know how to do that. So you're good. Isn't that nice? So this is one of the sermons where if you're really not sure what's going on, you're set. That's, it's, that doesn't happen very often, but that today is the day for that. Um, another conclusion that we can draw is that the evidence that you have committed the unpardonable sin is that you can't be brought to repentance, that your conscience is seared, You're just not going to care. So if you're afraid that maybe you have committed the unpardonable sin, if you're nervous about that, that's evidence that your conscience is not seared, that your heart hasn't been hardened in judgment against you, and that you're okay. So you haven't done it. So if you're worried about it, if you're nervous about it, then you're in good shape too. So if you're not sure what's going on and you're a little bit nervous and worried, you're fine. Today is a good day for you. Um... So people who come to me and they're like, oh no, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. I'm scared to death. Well, clearly your conscience has not been seared. The fact that you're concerned about that and you're worried about having broken your relationship with God means that you haven't done it. You have been brought to repentance. You are nervous and afraid and want to reestablish that relationship. So you're good. Another conclusion that we can make is this. We should have a reverence for the Holy Spirit. Why is this the unpardonable sin? You know, I've, I've had people get confused as to what the unforgivable sin is. Some, one time I was talking to somebody who thought that rejecting Christ was the unpardonable sin. Well, of course not. You can reject Christ day after day after day after day, decade after decade, and then, you know, accept Christ. You're forgiven and good. There you go. Uh, That's not the unpardonable sin. You can just get forgiven for that right now. Um, But the unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why would that be the unforgivable sin? I'm not exactly sure, but I know this. We should have a reverence for the Holy Spirit of God. We should have a respect for the Holy Spirit of God. We should make sure that we don't get crass and coarse when discussing the Holy Spirit of God. We need to honor and revere the Holy Spirit of God. Um, And the last conclusion I'm going to give is this. Don't slam biblical spiritual things like miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues because that's, that's not the road you want to be on. 
However, it is still okay to test everything, right? So what you don't want to do is condemn prophecy, but you do want to test everything. Test that prophecy, right? You don't want to condemn speaking in tongues, but just because somebody speaks in tongues doesn't mean you have to believe everything they say, right? Or that they're a perfect human being. No, you can still judge that person. You can still, you know, evaluate and discern what's going on. But you don't want to condemn the spiritual things that are in the Bible in general. Very important. Let's not condemn those things, but still have a discerning spirit, still be willing to test everything. Question people, but don't question the things that are in the scriptures as those important things. So, just to sum up real quick. If you are afraid maybe you've committed the unpardonable sin, or if you're talking to someone who is afraid they might have committed that, if they're not a high-level believer who understands exactly what's going on, I don't think they can even have the proficiency to be able to commit the unpardonable sin. They probably just blasphemed God, not the Holy Spirit. Now, you can be a Satanist and not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You're just blaspheming God. I don't think you're in a position to be able to do that. You can be forgiven for being a Satanist. As for forgiveness, it's done. You're in. But you have to be, you know, all of these things were in the Christian world. It was teachers, it was the Pharisees, it was the ones who had tasted of the mighty things of God. It wasn't the people on the outside who were rejecting everything. It was the people on the inside that were committing this. So if somebody's not highly advanced in the faith, they can't do it in the first place. And then the second point is, if that, if that feeling of, oh no, is there, they haven't done it either. Because that feeling is evidence that they have not committed the unpardonable sin. Because that shows their conscience is not seared. They have been brought to repentance. What's the greatest, most important commandment? The greatest, most important commandment, of course, is that we love God. What we want to be able to do today is we want to be able to love God. Now, as we've been going through this series, we talked about God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And not just God the Father is good, not just the Son Jesus is good, but the full Trinity is good. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all good. And so when the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, if we are to love God, we are to love God the Father. We are to love Jesus the Son. And we are to love the Holy Spirit as well. Let's read through that. Our closing scripture is going to be Mark chapter 12, 28 through 31. Verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? I like that guy. That is a great question. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Go back to verse 30. You can leave that up as we take communion this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God the Father with all of who you are. Love Jesus, the Son, the sacrifice with all of who you are. Love the Holy Spirit of God with all of who you are. That's the greatest commandment. We can love God because of His amazing plan. He he spoke this whole reality into being. He created everything. You know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, of course, were there at that time, but but there's a plan that's come to pass that allows us to live our lives here and to be able to have abundant life in Christ and eternal life with God. That's an amazing, wonderful, glorious plan. Hallelujah for that. We can love the Father for His great plan. And then there's the sacrifice made by Jesus because the wages of sin is death and our, our Father who loves us so much sees our sin and knows it has to be eliminated for his wonderful plan to come to pass. And so the wages of sin is death, but Jesus took that for us. And we can love Jesus because he is the one that has shed his blood for our forgiveness. And we can love the Holy Spirit because we have a comforter, we have a counselor, we have a guide. We have one who, who indwells in our hearts and puts his fruit, his heart in our heart so we can have love and joy and peace and patience. And we can have all the fruit of the Spirit in our heart and we can be empowered to be successful in what God has called us to do through the gifts of the Spirit. We can love the Holy Spirit of God. And so let's do that today. Let's do that now as we receive communion. Let's follow the greatest, most important commandment to love God. So let's just take a few seconds. I'm going to pause. And we're going to focus on loving the Lord. And wherever you're at in the place you are with your relationship with the living God, If you're good with Jesus, but you're a little afraid of God the Father, understand He loves you just like Jesus does. If you're not so sure about the Holy Spirit, understand the Spirit of God is good. And we need the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts so that we can have the fullness of what God has offered us. So let's just take a moment and in just between you and God, Just express your love to Him. Make that connection with Him right now. Oh Lord, You are so good. You are so good. We give You praise and we honor You. We worship You. We thank You for Your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would go with us as we depart from this place. 
Lord, that your light would shine in our hearts so that any darkness in there would be overcome. And Lord, that your light would shine so bright that it would overflow into our families, it would overflow into our schools, it would overflow into our workplaces. Lord, wherever we go, your light would shine, your peace, your joy, and your love would overflow into those places because there we are and you are with us. So encourage us, Lord. Give us strength and help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite people to come down for personal prayer. We've got the prayer team here. If you felt in your your heart you need some prayer, they're here to pray. doesn't matter what the prayer need is. They will pray with you and good and mighty things will happen. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this morning.